welcome to the Untitled Art Podcast presented by Artsy. For our first conversation of the 2021 fair, we're pleased to present Vulnerability of Recent Times, Water, Ocean, Body, and Environment presented by the San Francisco Artist Alumni. This conversation revolves around referencing ideas in the book The Disposable City by Mario Alejandro Ariza, San Francisco artist alumni, um, embraces the theme of resilience as it relates to the environment and society. As a group of San Francisco, uh, as a group of San Francisco Art Institute alumni, SFAA gathered strength during a moment of crisis to resurrect themselves in order to preserve the legacy of their alumni by forming the nonprofit group. While cities have departments of resilience to foster how the city can react to climate change, vulnerable communities disproportionately composed of people of color are most affected by limited funding to protect themselves against potential disaster to their homes and sense of security. The site Miami Beach speaks to urgency while we see continuous progress through the construction occurring simultaneously. How do we create justice between the developers and ideas of sanctuary? Juxtaposed areas are economically divided by these environmental, political, and governmental systems. Art as a vehicle brings awareness to these issues with poetic, psychological, and visual aesthetics. And I'm pleased to introduce our panelists who are joining us from SFAA. Uh, we have Maria Teresa Barbas, who is the SFAA co-founder, and she'll be moderating today's conversation. And Maria is an interdisciplinary artist with a focus on sculpture, performance, and film. Born in 1979 in Schwaz, she worked as a psychologist and psychotherapist in Austria before relocating to the San Francisco Bay Area to study movement-based art therapy. She attended the San Francisco Art Institute where she received an MFA in new genres. She lives and works in Miami, Florida. She's the co-founder and president of the SF Artist Alumni and the moderator of today's discussion. Beth Davila Waldman, who is, an, uh, is a cross-disciplinary artist using photography, painting, as assemblage, and installation. Her work explores the impact of socio-political trends on cultural landscapes, often through imagery laden with indicators of economic and social status, presented in a manner that emulates the sheer stress of imposed change. Waldman's constructed vistas reconceive the notion of sanctuary amidst the realities of colonization and invite meditations on civil access. Don Dedalus grew up in the shadow of the country's largest public observatory, an area so remote and sparsely populated that it served as the first plutonium processing plant for the Manhattan Project. Daedalus studied continental and applied philosophy as well as interdisciplinary visual arts at the University of Washington as a Ferguson and Richardson Fellow. He is a graduate of the San Francisco Art Institute where he focused on new media, film, and performance. Daedalus's work has been shown at museums, institutions, and galleries in the United States, Latin America, and Europe. He lives and works in New York. Liz Miller Kovacs is an artist and filmmaker based in Berlin, where she has just completed a year, a one-year artist residency with Das Institute for 
can you help me pronounce this? I'm so sorry. For Alice Milklische. Perfect. <laughs> Miller Kovacs interdisciplinary studio practice is rooted in queer punk, post-feminism, and activist performance. Her work focuses on the cult of commodity in globalized society and its effect on our relationship to the environment. She explores the central paradox of the current era. Despite the rhetoric of technological advancement, humanity seems more preoccupied with assimilating to meditated images than preventing looming environmental disaster. And um, there is many more accolades in Liz Miller's bio, but I am going to um, stop there and we can have, refer to them uh, in our information on the website uh, in the interest of time so we can move on with the conversation. And last but not least, we have uh, Ksenia Ajube, director of ASW Studio and founder of the Nikola Lenovitz Classroom Fulbright Visiting Scholar at, excuse me, at the Inclusive Ecologies Incubator at the Pratt Institute, New York, and head of an architecture practice which specializes in culture and education. Xenia's research is on environmental diplomacy and climate justice with a focus on migration, informal economies, and their impact on the environment, which is showcased at biennales and exhibitions internationally. She directs the Nikola Lenovitz Open Classroom at the largest art park in Europe, where she leads short courses and research projects on art as labor in a post-work future and the new rural condition, which have participated in conferences and exhibitions, including the Oslo Architecture Triennial 2019 in collaboration with the Global Free. She teaches an MA studio with Alejandro Heik at Umea University in Sweden. And without further ado, I will turn the conversation over to you, Maria. And thank you again for joining us and looking forward to hearing from all of you. Thank you so much, Emily, for this introduction. And thanks everyone uh, joining us here in the beautiful podcast lounge at Untitled Art that is also showing, showcasing artwork from Joyce Billet is also here today. And thanks for everyone who's joining us at their various devices at home. Uh, we are here on the first day of Untitled Art, uh, the first public day of Untitled Art, and uh, we're just really grateful to Untitled and especially to Omar Lopez Shamud for inviting us, and not just having us here today for the podcast, but also uh, we were showcasing 30 videos yesterday on a billboard truck, an amazing billboard truck outside, right at the entrance of the fair. And today it is my great pleasure to have four of the artists who showed their work yesterday here with me today. The exhibition was curated by Tony Labad, who uh, is an artist and uh, faculty uh, at the San Francisco Art Institute and has taught many of us here. Uh, we are SFI alumni. And um, yeah, I'm, I want to say, a short, just a, a short introduction to SF Artists Alumni. We are an independent alumni organization uh, founded by uh, SFAI alumni to really foster networking and also opportunities for alumni. We're a year and a half old and we really emerged out of a crisis when the pandemic first started 
and we would not have guessed that a year and a half later we would be at Untitled celebrating the work of our alumni. That's really incredible and we are very, very grateful to everyone who helped us on, on this way. Uh, a big shout out to uh, John Marks, the co-chair of the San Francisco Art Institute who sponsored our truck that we were uh, showing off yesterday and uh, now we're gonna start with the amazing artwork that we were, um, we were celebrating yesterday and I'm gonna hand it over to Beth Waltman. If you could uh, tell us a little bit about the piece that you showed yesterday on the truck and give us some background to that video. Okay. Thank you, Maria, and thank you for everyone for being here. Um, yeah, we uh, pulled together 30 different videos for Three Turns Miami, and um, like the essence of the project, um, my video piece that was called uh, Resurrection is part of a three, a series of three performance art pieces that I did um, in 2018. And um, in essence, a lot of the, the poetic gesture of it is um, it's it's a state of coming from a state of almost feeling a sense of hopelessness and picking up the pieces and finding some space to think about moving forward. And I think it relates to um, many many uh, things that we've been dealing with uh, in the past two years, as well as our ongoing uh, situation with climate change. Um, in particular, my piece took place as a site-specific um, work, as well as being a video performance piece um, on the grounds of China Camp Village in San Rafael uh, in Marin County, where I live. And um, I had just returned from a trip to Hong Kong in 2018, where I returned again in later 2018 and then 2019. And um, at that time, you know, there were a lot of growing tensions um, surrounding the trade wars between the mainland China and the U.S. And, you know, we had um, the man who can, shall not be named in, in office. And, you know, it was a difficult time to know and see our country being so isolationist and thinking about the domino effect of this growing tension between China and the U.S. And so in my performance piece, I have... Um, a large-scale photograph or really fragments from a large-scale photograph that I printed on plexiglass from Hong Kong of a, a family-run uh, restaurant uh, which um, I had shattered and I was feeling a lot of my art deals with the economic or environmental effects um, which trickle from those uh, certain prosperous uh, economies um, or the efforts to be so and how that affects the individual and the culture and the society. Um, so at the end of the day, my piece is kind of speaking to that feeling where we all have to dig within, deep within ourselves, whether we're a country or an individual, and, and, and carry the burden, bring it to land as I'm doing in the video, bring it forward and, and recognize it and find a way to find resolve in a situation that may look like a lot of shattered pieces before us. So that's, that's in essence, a, a feeling of humanity and full of question marks, like what, what do we do? How do we reconstruct from something that feels uh, disassembled or perhaps broken? Um, and uh, it's, um, I have other symbolism in my video, such as uh, myself, wearing the American flag and um, 
a moment of pause at the very end. So, Thank you so much, Beth. And um, just a little bit uh, background to the exhibition. So Tony Labad was the curator, and he actually selected three videos as nominated artists. And then we did an open call where all the alumni were invited to send in response works. So Beth's work was actually a response to Minush Somorodinia, uh, who um, did this beautiful video of her covered in white cloth, standing in the water. Uh, it's a, a long-term performance piece where, while the ice is melting on either side of her. And uh, this was basically kind of like the inspiration the the inspiration uh, where Beth was um, responding with her video. And I'm going to hand it over now to Ksenia, who uh, has a collaborative piece in the exhibition called How to Grow a Field. If you can tell us a little bit more about this uh, project and also your team. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much for showcasing our work. Uh, I'm actually in a collaborative team with an artist called Super Marin, who is the SFAI alumni, and the rest of us come from different places. Um, our project is called Field. It's a large project that involves many different media and many different social uh, interactions and various pieces, and the film is one of the things that we produced. Um, and in, in the film, you would see a critique of urban culture through the perspective of what if we reevaluated grass and the role that grass plays in our public spaces and in our consciousness. Um, and the reason for that is that we believe uh, that grass is a kind of flat carpet of institutionalization and control in public spaces. Um, and if we considered it as a much more natural material, which could flower, which could be a rewilding mechanism, which could be a place for um, creativity and play and pause, uh, then we might rethink the role that public spaces can play in our society. Um, as I mentioned, I work with uh, several women uh, the artist Supermarine, the performance artist Jessica Fontanani-Cook, a material scientist called Jill Brennan-Bloom, and another architect, uh, Annie Gonzalez-Lara. Um, and through our work, <laughs> we're engaging people, communities, in making things out of grass. We've developed a bioplastic out of grass, which you can build with. You can use it instead of oil-based plastics. This by itself opens up questions of the fourth industrial revolution and taking means of production into one's own hands, for example, using alternative ecological materials. But our aim, as already mentioned, is to reframe public spaces and public art as a much more inclusive and community-led uh, process. And that's why, for example, now we're developing a project to involve grandmothers, to involve elderly women in brewing, alchemically uh, making this new material out of which we're going to be making sculptures, around which we will be making a performance which also reflects this kind of mapping of the economic and cultural reinterpretation of grass. And uh, yeah, we hope to kind of weave new rituals um, and new physical infrastructure using our project. 
on uh, we've got a couple of sites in New York City, uh, Governor's Island among them. So come by next summer and see what we've been up to. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ksenia. And uh, I'm going to hand it over to Liz, if you could tell us a little bit about your video and the background. Well, my video is called Waterbound. Um, it was originally a three-channel video um, that also included, it was part of an installation that included a sculpture. It was an interactive um, kinetic sculpture that included water. It was an actual water tank that I repurposed um, a used water tank, a thousand liter collective tank that I cut open and repurposed and made into a fountain with a lot of silver spheres. And there was actually like, you know, um, LED lights inside and it would change color. And so it was very, um, it was very accessible sculpture and um, people were allowed to touch it and whatnot. And then the three video pieces involved um, a woman, a performer that I collaborate with who I directed. So, um, and she was inside of a membrane, a sheer membrane underwater in the first one by herself, enclosed, nude in the water, so floating and struggling to get out and struggling to survive. And then another video where she's grappling with a large silver ball, very similar to the ones in the sculpture, and um, clinging to it and sort of floating on the surface with it, but barely, um, and struggling with that. And then there was a third channel that was projected onto the floor in front of the sculpture. And this video was a video just of the silver ball going through various transmutations, um, sort of psychedelic um, effects, and um, becoming closer, seemingly closer and further away from the audience, so um, sort of transforming in front of her eyes. And it's a, there was a loop, and it's very sort of mesmerizing. Um, and so for this project, you know, I, I felt that, you know, the wa water, we need water to survive. And um, it's something that's often ne neglected, the quality of the water and, um, you know, the pollution of the water and what goes into the water and how much we use and how much we need. So, you know, I thought that it was really an important aspect, and most of my work is relates to the ecology these days. It's just, it's just so undeniable. Um, so what I did was I actually wove the three videos together um, and they would sort of interweave as almost an abstraction and then one image from either one of the videos would sort of emerge from it, but it would sort of became a cycle. It's sort of this, this cycle, the silver cycle of sort of desire and dissatisfaction sort of with commodity and, um, you know, and the human condition and how we relate to nature, you know, we're, and how we how dependent upon nature we are to survive. But yet we're still struggling, you know, just for these sort of um, constructed um, ideals of status and consumerism. And so, you know, I just so I wanted to weave together the body, which is our existence, the environment, and the symbol of consumerism. That sort of sort of the demise of us all. But we and it's not it's not necessarily. I mean, it's, it is somewhat of a critique, but it's also just an examination, you know, because the, the wall is beautiful and we can't survive without it. I mean, we are in a, you know, in a modern society where we rely on these things, but it's just sort of to, to meditate on it. It serves as a meditation. Thank you so much, Liz. And last but not least, Dawn, if you could please tell us a little bit about your video in the Three Turns exhibition yesterday. 
Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy. First, I want to thank. Uh, I've got a long list of people I'd like to thank, but I, I'll give the abbreviated list, which is uh, Untitled and Artsy for giving us an opportunity to share this, and um, of course everybody at SFAA who's collectively worked to get this amazing project off the ground. Um, yeah, and I'll, in terms of my project, I'll talk about three points. I'll, I'm, I'm going to describe the work and then some of the, the motivations to do it. And, and then I'll bring it back to SFAI and put my work in the context of the legacy that our alumni association uh, strives to uh, support and, and recall. So the video is essentially a juxtaposition of two things that happens, or two things that occur in, here in Florida. One is invasive lionfish, and the other are uh, rehabilitation houses. And uh, the lionfish uh, are represented by a competition that I uh, participated in last, uh, I guess, two years ago, um, it, north of here in Pompano Beach. And it was a scuba diving competition that's, that's framed as a grassroots organized uh, event to encourage scuba divers to go down and remove these invasive lionfish, which are kind of a beautiful uh, venomous fish that destroy coral reefs. And um, so I'm scuba diving in in this competition and most of the footage is me underwater with my buddy during this competition and and text uh, regarding things that I w was reflecting on while I was doing this kind of absurd activity. Um, but I also have a habit of recording conversations with taxi drivers and Uber drivers and that's how I began this investigation of rehabilitation houses. So I was taking an Uber around Pompano Beach and speaking with the Uber driver uh, who was telling me about all of these beautiful homes, um, maybe two streets off, off, the, off the shore, that were used as rehabilitation houses. And she was just saying how, you know, there's people kind of perpetually coming in and out of, of the neighborhoods, like this revolving door of people who are addicted, and then the, the perverse incentives of these rehabilitation house owners to keep their clients in orbit, uh, mostly through, you know, the abuse of, of our healthcare system and, and um, supplying them with drugs. And so I heard about this, and I thought this is so interesting. Uh, of course, I'm in the con I'm I'm in this format of trying to do this art performance, and I'm recording this at the same time. And more and more, the video is about the milieu of of where this performance is taking place. It, it it's not um, uh, just in any place. It's it's a site. It's sort of site specific, um, and. I think what's interesting about this invasive lionfish and rehabilitation house phenomenon is, for those of us who recall that we all we live in these small bubbles around the country, uh, most people don't know about these things outside of Florida. It's a it maybe like with the invasive iguanas. You know, most people who have not come to Florida don't know that there's iguanas roaming the streets of Miami Beach. Uh, but it's certainly present when you're here. Uh, so the, the video kind of, I, I made this with the intention in, in one hand to just 
present these things that I was seeing here in Florida. Uh, but of course, there's also the element of uh, this form of intervention, which is a, the grassroots competition, uh, and then having a specific anecdotal case of, uh, of something that people can use to enter to talk about ecology and the water and, and the environment and biodiversity and things like that. I, when I was viewing the other videos in the, um, in the open call, I saw two things. One was this trend around water. Uh, all of the videos had something to do with water or pertain to water. And the other, and, and I think this is unique to SFAI and our legacy, is there is a, a history of merging performance and video. And what I mean by that is we, it's both a document, a documentation of a performance, but the video can also be viewed as an art video. And I think that was something that all of the videos that we screened last night shared, right? So it's, it's both something that's referencing uh, an event that occurred, but it's also a discrete video that can be viewed independent of that. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, studying with Tony, uh, like so many of us at New Genres uh, did, uh, we were really reminded of this kind of blurring of media, of, um, you know, I always say getting naked and doing a performance because it's not a performance if you're not naked, it seems. Uh, but, but then also, like, you know, maniacally documenting things and then going through this uh, almost therapeutic process of, trying to figure out what exactly you did. What is it that you saw? What do you see in those images? Putting those together. And I think that that's a form of editing that we all do, even though we might not be calling ourselves editors exactly. So um, yeah, I'm, uh, I also want to say that I'm very happy to be in Miami. It's really nice to come down here and see all of these familiar faces, faces and um, see you know this great weather and uh, yeah, all this great art, too, so thanks. Thanks so much, Don. And I want to also really bring it back to Miami or Miami Beach specifically because Tony Labad was very focused on making this exhibition site-specific. We are showing videos from all over the world, from artists from all over the world on a specific site. And it's the, the shores of Miami Beach, right? Which also Mario Arisa, the author of The Disposable City, was describing as the shores of future climate catastrophe. So uh, Tony was also thinking a lot about, uh, you know, what is going to happen to Miami Beach? Uh, what is going to be happening to Miami Beach when the sea levels rise? And Mario Risa in his book that I can highly recommend is talking about the future and uh, what the city has to do, resilience offices and engineers and... Um, uh, the Army Corps and everyone is thinking about, well, how can we save this city, right? Not just Miami Beach, but also Miami. So when you think about the location of the exhibition and how your video was presented on a billboard truck, right? And um, how do you think did the location change, if at all, your work or changed your view of your own work if you could talk a little bit about that whoever is ready can just feel free to jump in um, 
I'll jump in just because, uh, you know, really thinking about sight is uh, a leading point in my own work as an artist. Um, actually, at SFAI, I, I was in sculpture and was working specifically on site-specific work. Um, so that's always so important to me. Um, and the context of, of a coastline or a shore, you know, is something that we can relate to globally. Um, and right now, you know, we're in the amazing Untitled Art Fair, but at the same time, you know, it's part of this uh, big system. It's, it's commercial, it's historic, um, and, you know, art, we as artists, you know, are part of this system, um, but also we strive to bring awareness to, um, to the system or for perhaps, you know, forbidden truths, you know, which is what Mario's book is highlighting is uh, a lot of the, the elements that Miami has as a challenge, um, but everyone keeps wanting to make it such an amazing place, which it is, to visit, you know, the, the construction, you know, these signs of prosperity, but meanwhile, there's definitely this vulnerability that the city is experiencing. Um, in my own video work, I was, you know, that was a lead component. One of my videos in the three series um, was literally um, about the isolationism and strengthening that the U.S. government was taking on and its role with, um, creating more tensions with China. And so, um, and, and forgetting about the, the situation it might, or not putting enough attention and to the situation it might cause abroad and globally with such two strong economic powers like the US and China. Um, so this is such a global city. This is the gateway to Latin America. I mean, we are all here. This is an international fair. And you know, with our uh, billboard truck, you know, it is. It we used it to share and bring awareness um, to different factors through all of our work. But it's the context. It's a context within another context. So, you know, even the the white tent looming behind our truck and using that platform, right? As artists, we can choose a platform to accentuate the context in which we're working in, like the silver ball, it exists. We have to recognize it exists, but what else, right? How do we pull back the curtain? And um, that's a bit of the effort of my video. And, and I think the more we can put the ideas of our work in a global context, connecting with Site and Miami, um, it helps to feed the larger ideas from the you know, it, things are going on on the sidewalks of many places in the world, right? But we can use one example as artists to bring focus to the iguanas and the lionfish, but it's really, it echoes like a much larger theme. So while my initial project was dealing with my own uh, feelings surrounding the trade wars, like it actually is expanding way beyond that, so. Thank you so much, Beth. Um, yeah. Uh, I really found that um, the, the, this location, I mean, it, and it's fabulous to be here. It's a, it is a very international city, and it's great to be part of this international art fair, but it's also, you know, a major symbol of consumption and decadence. And Miami Beach is also, it's the playground for, you know, the most indulgent world, renowned culture of the world, and internationally as well. 
you know, so I felt that the utilization of the truck, you know, the, which is a, it's basically a trope of advertising in front of the symbol of luxury and, um, you know, and elitism, or, you know, those who can afford to indulge in luxury goods, which is, Miami is so known for, this, you know, these statements of luxury and flossing and fancy cars and, you know, so I felt like this really underscored um, the theme behind mo my work and most of the other works. But, you know, I really felt like, you know, this is the, the silver ball and it's, it becomes recursive in this cycle. So I, it was really exciting to see it. Um, and also just really, you know, it also sort of um, underscored, you know, this beautiful beach, but what's actually going on inside the water? You know, in my video, the water is very, it's murky and it's, you know, I, I intentionally played with the colors to show that, you know, the water is not pure, that it's cloudy and, it, you know, that it's dark and it's sort of ominous. And that's not, you know, because water is dangerous in its pure sense, but the fact of what's looming under the surface of the ocean, how much plastic is in there, how much coral is, um, as Xenia was discussing and I was discussing how much coral is gone, you know, what depletion of our oceans and so many other factors, the rise of sea levels. Yeah, I think uh, two main factors is definitely the um, as a local artist, you know the the water quality of Biscayne Bay, and then the other the the dying of the corals, uh, which has been going on for a very long time, and is 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 um, you know very disheartening for our, to look at it for our future. Uh, would you also like to jump in on this um, question of you know how? The location, being on Miami Beach, being on the sand, you know, being on a billboard truck kind of like influenced um, how you saw the videos and how you saw maybe also your own work. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought the, the medium is the massage, of course, and in this case it was very uh, well placed um, and kind of a stroke of genius to combine these uh, aesthetics, the, the aesthetics of advertising and consumption, but also of in, informing actually people about the urgent issues that our work um, tries to bring to the fore. And in, in our case, uh, Field was begun by the artist Supermarin, who I've al already mentioned as a kind of um, piece of artistic research in, into a kind of institutional critique. But then mm, as it kind of gained traction, we realized that we could turn it into a way of subverting the contemporary art economy uh, to tackle the climate crisis and to tackle social resiliency. So it just is an example of how providing platforms for art can actually be a kind of economic instrument and definitely a social instrument to hopefully bring about change. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really like that you use the word resilience, right? Uh, and also, like our talk is also talking about vulnerability of recent times, you know, and how art can really be uh, fostering resilience and therefore be incredibly important about how we go about in facing our future, which what we have done so far. So thank you for that, Don. Great. Yeah, <clears throat> I would say. Um for those who were not fortunate enough to see this and who, who, would be, who will be learning about this project um, over the podcast, I, I should just describe the truck. It was quite a sight to be seen. It was a medium-sized semi-truck with uh, screens on both sides 
that then uh, elevated on a post above the truck and then rotated. I, I'm guessing it was somewhere around 20 to 25 feet diagonally. So it was a very large truck. I spent most of yesterday in the airport um, trying to get here, uh, but I, w I was walking up Miami Beach bolo or boardwalk um, expecting to see um, you know, some entryways to, to this, this tent. Uh, and actually, long before I got to the fair, I saw this almost obnoxiously bright light. And I thought it was like the light that was illuminating the fair. But in fact, it was our program. And uh, I, I didn't, it, this didn't dawn on me uh, when I was proposing my video or, or uh, sending the video in. But, um, you know, people use this boardwalk. I've, I've, most of the times that I've been to Miami Beach has not been during an art fair. And people love this. I mean, they're up and down all the time. And this work and the program was something that the, the locals, who are probably very annoyed by the closure of their streets because of Miami Art Week, uh, they can see our program as they go up and down. And it's on both sides. And, and as I said, you can see it from about a quarter of a mile away with a few obstructions of palm trees. Um, but about my work and how I did think about this, uh, I did make some very discreet changes to the, to the video. I, I sent it in, and Tony watched it. Uh, it was a 20-minute documentary, and he sent back one very short suggestion, which was, take out all of the talking parts. Uh, it, it was a documentary, and so it was mostly speaking. And I, I, I took his um, suggestion, and I removed all of the talking parts, and then it was just videos of me scuba diving in houses in Florida, which is a terrible video to watch. It, it was five minutes of, of me underwater. It was horrible. It was terrible. So then I had to reconceptualize the narrative of, of how to, well, you know, juxtapose these two things. And I went back and added some text and added some, some footage. And it came out to about 10 minutes. Uh, so for anybody who's interested in watching the unabridged version that does exist on the internet, um, there is talking. <laughs> it's in primarily English. Uh, but it was a very good exercise, and, and it, it, it did bring me back to the days in graduate school where you would work on something very hard, and you would, you know, put it up in a room for critique, and then somebody would walk in and say, oh, I really like this, except the central part of this project. <laughs> and then you, and, and they usually were somehow right to, to some degree, you know? Uh, and then you, you entertain that critique a little bit, and maybe you have something else afterward, which I, I call this um, lion fixing rather than lion fishing, which is the, the, ter the title of the full, f the full film. Thank you, Don. Um, one thing that was very important to Tony, too, in the curation of this project was that our uh, billboard truck was actually accessible to the, to the public. It was a public art project. No one had to get a ticket to see our truck. It was uh, available for everyone that wanted or did not want to see art that day. There were people, uh, you know, walking by uh, in their bathing suit, right? Um, being kind of being um, immersed in that uh, video exhibition. There was also um, one video that I really loved. It was called Split, 
I believe Liz Oppenheimer, if I'm correct, of two horns, like one very long horn and one uh, box that you could kind of like uh, wind up and it would make a horn sound. And people would walk by and hear the horns from the video and there was a truck there. So the association was obviously that the truck was kind of like honking the horn at them when it was actually the video piece on the truck. It was like a nice interaction between the audience and the truck that we, we kind of like couldn't foresee the way it came about. But the horn, of course, is also trying to say something, right? Alert you to a danger, or alert you to something that is going on, that like a siren. We had two videos, Ana Teresa Fernandez, the siren song, and then Whitney Lynn siren that um, um, was Whitney video, Whitney's video was about a mermaid that was trying to climb this military bunker on, on like a, a, a cliff. And you you never knew if she was actually also an SFAI alum, the model in the, 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 art, the actor in the video, you never knew would she fall off or not. So there was like this danger to it. But we are talking about vulnerabilities here. We are talking about the vulnerability of us sitting together in this podcast without masks, speaking into a microphone that has a foam on that we have to change after this, this podcast to not, um, you know, uh, put each other in danger. And uh, we are, we're talking about vulnerabilities of the water, vulnerabilities of the land, of the grass. So maybe we can, in this, in this um, probably last um, 10 minutes, if everyone could uh, talk a little bit about how they approach vulnerability, their own vulnerability, social vulnerability, environmental vulnerability in their work, and what they, what you all see also as, as, you know, a resilience or like a possibility of resilience as an artist, as a, as an architect, an activist. If you could talk to that idea of vulnerability. Well, I think the pandemic uh, made us all discover vulnerability in a big way. <laughs> And that was one of its gifts. Um, and vulnerability is both a very creative space, um, a very deep space, but also a very collective space. And so in a direct way, that's what brought our project together. That's what brought all the people that work on field together and made us into more than just um, colleagues made us into a community and that community drew in a lot of other people who were fascinated by our representation of the vulnerability of society through grass I mean who would have thought of it and they just got hooked and we birthed like several other collectives who are now experimenting in their own way with some of the processes that we invented and now we want to um, use the project to work specifically with in, by, by engaging vulnerable groups of people in making public art. Um, so, yeah, thank you, vulnerability. Thank you, Ksenia. Uh, yeah, thanks, Maria. Thanks for making it explicit. We were, <clears throat> I think, beating around the bush that we're still in a pandemic. Um, 
and in fact, this is the you know the overarching context that we find ourselves in, uh, at least at the moment when we have a a slight reprieve from the lockdown, at least in the United States. Um, yeah, vulnerability is an interesting question, and I, I we've we've mentioned resiliency a few times today, and I've noticed there was a kind of an interesting adaptation or transliteration of the term. Prior to the pandemic, it, it served as a rallying cry uh, against um, the climate catastrophe. And, and then when the pandemic set in, two things happened. One, um, there was some kind of environmental rebound. You know, they, they were talking about wildlife in cities. And I heard that um, dolphins had been spotted in New York Harbor for the first time in 250 years. Um, but yeah, it, you know, this, this is not over yet. Obviously, the pandemic continues. Um, I think also in terms of this art project, uh, the program, um, you know, we're making videos at a time when people are sort of burned out of looking at the screen, right? That's one of the great things about being at this art fair is that so many of us have been looking at art online or being on a Zoom call for hours and hours on, on end and certainly that was how um, my video originally was conceived. I, I had released it at the beginning of the pandemic uh, when people were still watching videos for 20 minutes. Um, and now I, I have a sense that people really want to be uh, in the physical presence of, of things. Uh, but it was still, that's not to say uh, that people didn't engage our video uh, program outside. It's to, it's to say that people enjoyed watching the video with other people, right? We were out there for, for a few hours, um, at least myself, I know you were out there most of the day, uh, watching this movie together, like a, almost like a walk-in movie theater, like a drive-up movie theater. Um, but the, the last thing that I'll say is the, the vulnerability regarding the project that I was documenting and participating in, which is about the lionfish. And I think that there's something um, informative or educating about that project. Uh, basically, the lionfish um, have proliferated around the Caribbean, uh, as far north as South Carolina and as, as far south as, as Argentina. And as this grassroots festival and trend of scuba divers going out to cull these fish has gone on, the population of lionfish has been brought down uh, but there's, they've evolved to go to areas that divers cannot go. Um, but what I saw during the, the, the tournament, and in this, in this video, is, is, it's exactly apparent. Um, the result are these, the reefs that, that people go to have become havens for native fish or uh, biodiversity, in short. Um, and that was kind of inspiring. It wasn't what I wanted to see because I, I, I came with the idea that I would be killing dozens and dozens of these fish and I, I found only four in four hours. Uh, but I've heard that the population at accessible reefs has gone down considerably in the last 10 years, which is inspiring to say that we can have a positive impact. On the other hand, um, the havens that are created on these accessible reefs are very similar to the, the sorts of havens that I think we're seeing 
be created around the pandemic, um, particularly around um, vaccine access, uh, the countries and the cities um, that have these robust um, distribution of, of the vaccine. And I think that there's something that's wonderful about these havens, but there's also the dark side, which is who is included and who is excluded from these havens, right? So we're here in, in Miami. Um, I think the vaccination rate of, um, of, of, uh, of, Amer of American adults is considerably higher than um, most countries in the world. So um, yeah, I think that there's a, a connection with these, these questions of vulnerability and, uh, and resiliency. Thank you so much, Don, and uh, hand it over to Liz. Yeah, I, um, I was really struck. I really thought about vulnerability when the pandemic hit and, you know, how fragile humans are, not just because of the virus, um, but like psychologically as well, you know, um, and, you know, how vulnerable and fragile we are. I mean, people had so many psychological meltdowns and we lost a lot of people to suicide and depression as well and how much how, how important community is um so this is you know this was really something to think about and how fragile the balance is just from maintaining a society um because of the pandemic and you know how how hard it is for people to adapt that being said i feel like artists as artists we are conditioned to be resilient i mean from the day you step into art school someone's going to give you a critique and tell you your work is shit and you i mean my first critique i ran out crying i was like 17 years old you know and i thought my work was amazing and you know it's like and and we and then we go we take rejection over and over and over again you really have to be bulletproof so you know i feel that artists you know, we do like community. We're not, we're not solitary individuals for the most part. But you know, but we are. If, if any group can sort of help resurrect society, it's artists. So you know, and that that's that was my feelings about artists in general. And I feel like, and and we do crave to be together. And I'm so grateful. That's why so many of us came and why we're here, um, rallying it untitled. And thank you so much for for having us to SFAA. Now, on the other hand, I always kind of laugh when people say that nature is so fragile. I mean, it is, we are destroying nature, but nature's gonna win. Nature will bounce back. We can blow our, it's us, we are the fragile ones. Nature will re-evolve, reinvent itself, and will continue. So, you know, I feel like this disregard for nature, it's like, number one, it's, it's sad and pitiful that humans can't have, don't have the, you know, they're, they're so short-sighted. But at the same time, it's like when we're gone, nature will flourish. And the pandemic really demonstrated that. So, you know, if anything, humans should really think about, like, we need to look out for ourselves because without, without nature flourishing, how are we going to survive? That's all. Thanks, Thanks. so much, Liz. Um, yeah, I know we might be a little tight with time, but I'll just throw in a, a few comments. I mean, a word I'm using um, these days to lead in my work and in my classes are is the Anthropocene. So, you know, we're really in an epic where nature, we are combined, you know, our human actions and existence, we have integrated into the landscape, um, all of our actions are, are present. So. Um, it's harder to talk about it in, as a separated thing. And what I see a trend with all of our work 
there's a recognition of the silver ball. There's the reinvention of what grass can be. You know, there's, um, you know, we're, you're diving in and thinking about what can we do, what actions can affect change in positive or negative ways. And I think as artists, what we're doing is at least instead of saying silent, you know, we, through our art, are finding ways to deal with a vulnerable situation in a resilient manner. So, I mean, there is vulnerability. So what do you do with vulnerability? I guess you can stay silent and crawl up into a ball, or you can at least try to explore possibilities. You know, we are dealt with the hand that we, we have, right? So I think artists are amazing, and um, we're rethinking. You're rethinking grass, I mean, in common spaces and community. And, you know, we have to start posing those questions out there. So that's where, you know, Mario's book or, you know, this uh, project of ours, you know, and putting things before those who maybe don't intentionally go to see art. Like, we have to be posing the questions, and um, and, and that's what's going to help, as you said, stimulate new ideas. So that's all I have to say. Thank you so much, Beth. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, everyone. I do also want to mention that we also lost an alum during uh, the preparations for this exhibition at the end of October, Kate Radford, and we dedicated three turns Miami in her memory. And um, yeah, um, I want to thank everyone here uh, on this panel for uh, this lively discussion about your works, but also vulnerability and uh, resilience. I want to thank Untitled, especially Emily, for hosting us here. Thank you so much. And thank you to our lovely audience here in the podcast lounge. And a big shout out to Joyce Villiers again for her beautiful artwork here in the podcast lounge. Thanks to everyone at home for listening, for tuning in to the Untitled Art Podcast. And I hope you will stay tuned for the next podcast that will happen really soon at 3 p.m. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.